Praise the Lord. So I'm grateful this morning for the opportunity to share from God's word this morning one more time before my family and I evaporate and condense somewhere in Lusaka, Zambia, the real Africa. So this morning I want to speak about someone, and I want to be someone from the Bible, someone who in my view understands perfectly the meaning of the word departure, because he too had to move places. The wise preacher once said, nothing is new under the sun, and so I'm delighted and encouraged to note that our imminent departure to Zambia as a family is not new, as many others before us have moved places in obedience to the Great Commission. And so in preparing this message, it was a joy to learn how someone named Moses dealt with uncertainties and initial objections against God's calling before his departure to Egypt on mission with God. Much more than that, it was fascinating to me to see how Moses sought God's presence before he embarked on his mission to Egypt. His remarkable story is recorded for us in the book of Exodus, and perhaps it, is, it might be prudent to consider a brief historical background about the book of Exodus to remind ourselves about the character of God and his faithfulness uh, in letting the people and even in using Moses, the reluctant servant, as an instrument in his hand. I must confess that I was ready, but for some reason, I became a bit emotional. So if I become a little bit jittered, please forgive me, excuse me, just a little bit too much. And so, reading, it's important for us to understand a little bit about the background of the book of Exodus. And so Exodus gets the name from two Greek words that mean out and way. It literally means way out or departure. Now this title of the book, the title of this book captures the content of the book very well, especially its first half. It is a story of the children of Israel's departure from Egypt where they had been enslaved. And so the time of the Exodus was a defining period in the history of the nation of Israel. With regards to authorship, who writes the book? Who wrote the book of Exodus? Well, the book of Exodus, as well as the other books of Genesis, other books such as Genesis, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, which are collectively referred to as the Pentateuch, or the books of Moses. Given that on the basis of both internal and external Evidence, Moses is believed to be the author of these books, the books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible in the Old Testament. Now, some have questioned the authenticity and the authorship, but there are no convincing grounds 
to read that who wrote the book of Exodus. It has been attributed to Moses that we'll be talking about. In terms of the books, as one scans through the book of Exodus, really the thing that really stands out is God's presence. And that's what I want to talk about this morning for my subject. I want to share something about longing for God's presence. So God's presence seems to be the central theme in the book of Exodus. And as the narrative unfolds, we learn about how God guided the people throughout their long pilgrimage towards the promised land. We also learn how God revealed himself through events and established a special relationship with the people of Israel. Of course, a number of key events which happens in the book of Exodus, some of which are God's deliverance of the people from slavery, recorded for us from chapter 1 to chapter 18. The other event which we encounter as we go through the book of Exodus is God's establishing the people as a nation under his direct government, recorded for us from chapter 19 onwards. And lastly, we also see as we go through the book of Exodus how God took position at the heart of people and also recorded for us from chapter 25 going onwards. So in essence, the book of Exodus in many ways recounts the passionate experience of God's unique relationship with the people whom he liberated from slavery. It places particular emphasis on the divine deliverance and on the consecration of the newly formed people of the Lord. Of course, it has many historical lessons as well as prophetic foreshadowing of what God will do in the future. Of course, it is important to remember that the events recorded in Exodus must be seen against the background of the book of Genesis. Because it is in the book of Genesis where we learned of how God's call to Abraham, how God called Abraham and how he made the covenant with him. He made with him, recorded for us in Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15, and Genesis chapter 17. And as part of that covenant, God promised Abraham that in the fullness of time, he would be given a land of Canaan, a land that will be flowing with milk and honey, recorded for us in Genesis chapter 17. And so the book of Exodus, in essence, tells us how God began to fulfill that promise which he made with his special friend Abraham. So against, being, against this brief historical background, I now want to draw your attention to a couple of things that I want to discuss with you, namely, number one, I want to talk about, this morning I want to draw your attention to a couple of things, namely God's, um, God's call to Moses, in other words, how God called Moses, then I want to talk about Moses' objection to God's calling, then I want to look at God's response to Moses' objection, and finally, I want to talk about God's presence and why Moses longed for God's presence more than anything. And so let's have a look. We're going to read now a couple of passages from Genesis chapter 3. Begin reading from verse 1. Good, 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 good. Sharon, um, can you please read for me Genesis chapter 3, uh, Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, 
the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of, the, of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring the people of Israel out of Egypt. Thank you, Sharon. And so the story of God's call to Moses, recorded for us in the text that we just read, explains to us and shows us how Moses spent 40 years in Sinai Desert, working as a shepherd for his father-in-law, Jethro, before God called him to fulfill his mission. Now, 40 years of desert experience may look like a long time, but those years were not wasted. For God knew that Moses would need the knowledge of the desert when the time came to lead his people through the desert. And then one day as Moses was going about his normal business, God called him. Now, the description of the call is brief. But we are given two essential information, namely, number one, the identity of the one who calls, and number two, Moses, what Moses is to do. Now, this information is, is essential not only for understanding the story of Moses, but also for understanding, for our understanding of the character of God himself. So the place where God chose to reveal himself was Mount Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai. And so here God attracts Moses' attention by using a strange sight, a bush that burns without burning. The fire is said to represent the angel of the Lord, that is the angelic form in which God at times reveals himself to human beings. Now this is not a strange Incidents, because elsewhere in chapter 19, verse 18, fire will again symbolize the presence of God. Now keep in mind, brethren, that as Moses was about to be commissioned, remember that the liberation of the children of Israel was almost an impossible task from a human standpoint. 
But the striking way in which God manifests himself, he demonstrates that he would direct everything and that he would do so perfectly without being subject to human constraints. God was going to demonstrate that he was the all-powerful God. That's why he showed up in a manner that was striking to Moses. Now, if you go on the next slide, you are going to see that and so as Moses, and so as once Moses, this Moses' interest attracts him to the bush, God calls him twice by name from within the bush. Isn't it amazing that God, our God whom we save, knows us by our names? And so the call is a, is a specific and insistent, and Moses responded by saying, Here I am. Now, these words, Here I am, is an indication of openness uh, to hear and obey God, and are spoken elsewhere as well. This is not the first time that we come across in the Bible where God called out somebody, and somebody responded by saying, Here I am. You would recall, for instance, Abraham. When God directed him to leave his own country to go and sacrifice Isaac, the Bible records for us that eventually God called out Abraham. And indeed, Abraham responded by saying, Here I am, meaning that he was willing and ready to hear and obey whatever God was going to give him. It is not only Moses who was called by name. Abraham was also called by name. Jacob was also called by name. Samuel was also called by name. And they all responded by saying, here I am, indicating that they are willing to hear and obey whatever it is that God was going to speak to them. But in this context, when God called Moses, and because God is present, the ground where Moses is standing is declared to be holy. He is told not to come closer any longer and to take off his sandals as a sign of humility and worship. And so God then introduces himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and therefore the father of Israel. Now Moses needs to know exactly which God is speaking to. Because keep in mind that he has been raised in a polytheistic court in Egypt. And therefore, he was inheritably familiar and accustomed with Egyptian gods. And that's why when God introduced himself by saying, I'm the God of Abraham, I'm the God of Isaac, and I'm the God of Jacob, he was making a distinction from many other Egyptians got, which Moses was going to go. As you know, Egypt worshipped many other gods. God then, God then goes on to explain why he has called Moses. And he gives two distinctive reasons why he called Moses. Both expressed in anthropologic language. In other words, in a language that is associated with our human experience. So the first reason is that God has seen, heard, and reacted with concern to the sufferings of his people at the hands of the Egyptian oppressors. In other words, God knows the pains of his people and has a deep concern for them. The second reason is calling, of calling Moses is that God has decided that it's time to act 
and announces that, that I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians uh, to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the same land which he promised to his friend Abraham. Now, when God said, I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land and to take them to the land that is flowing with milk and honey, for God to come down indicates a very special movement, an exceptional intervention of the Most High in human history. And Moses is the choice instrument in the hand of God and indeed the incarnation of his divine intervention. Beyond that, God describes the destination to which he will lead the Israelites as a good and spacious land, a land that will be flowing with milk and honey. Then God gives it orders with a strong imperative in verse 10. Go! Now this command is precisely that there is no way around it. There is no way that Moses was going to dodge the call of God. Moses is to confront Pharaoh to bring children of Israel out of Egypt. He is to be the instrument that God is going to use to fulfill his promise uh, to the people of Israel. Now, it is important, brethren, to note that God did not, however, expressly or explicitly say that Moses will also lead the Israelites into the promised lands. Because as the narrative unfolds, we know very well that at the end of the day, Moses managed to lead the people out of slavery in Egypt, but he never set his foot into the promised land because of certain things which he did. That is another day, that another story for another day. But the point is, in God calling Moses by introducing himself, saying that I'm a God of Abraham, I'm a God of Isaac, and I'm a God of Isaac, God's call to Moses reveals what sets the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob apart from other local gods. In other words, God was saying to Moses that, look, I'm about to send you on a mission, but I'm going to be with you because I'm a personal God to you. I'm about to send you on a mission, but I want you to trust me that I'm going to be faithful to you because God is not only a personal God, but he's also a faithful God, a God who keeps the promises to the Israelites' ancestors, just as he made the promise to Abraham. So he's a personal God, he's a faithful God, but he's also a compassionate God, a, a compassionate God who identifies with the sufferings of his people. And lastly, a God who is sovereign. In other words, no matter what happens, God is still in control. So Moses could have been worried about Pharaoh. He could have been worried about the other magicians in Egypt. But God knew what he was doing. And he meant business because he is sovereign. He is in control of all what happens. Now beyond that, God, overwhelmed by the sheer size of the task at hand, Moses doubts its ability to undertake that mandate. And this is where pre precisely I could relate with, with Moses. Because the task ahead of us that we're going to embark on in terms of going to go and pioneer the work in Zambia, I feel overwhelmed. I don't think like I'm qualified enough to go and do the work that God is calling us to do. I feel like there's some other men who could speak better than me 
And, and I'm encouraged this morning because as I've been studying the book of Exodus, I realize that I'm not alone to feel intimidated by the mandate and the task ahead of us because Moses also failed the same. Thankfully, he was not left alone to fend for himself. God was there to give him every assistance which he needed. And so having looked at God's call to Moses, let's briefly look at how Moses responded by voicing four objections to God and how God responded to him. And so the first objection or the protest, if you like, is that Moses felt like, am I the right person? Because Moses' first protest or objection is expressed in a question that is God's sight, which in God's sight is neither astonishing nor Flavorless. He simply said, who am I? Like I said, who am I? To embark on this mission to Egypt, to go and bring deliverance on the people of Israel. I have felt that way. Who am I? That I can go on behalf of precept to go and start the work in Zambia. But you know what? The question is in any human's natural response when confronted with the greatness of the power of God. And Moses was also aware of his own history for the past 40 years because he has been a fugitive. <laughs> he wanted sometimes to be a broker, a peacemaker, separating the two Egyptians that were fighting, and he ended up being put on the spotlight. Who made you to be the leader and the judge over us? And you know the story? For the next 40 years, Moses became a fugitive running away from the Egyptian police. So he was afraid to go back there. That's why he said, who am I? That was the first objection. But God's response sweeps Moses' objection. He simply said, I will be with you. In other words, God is greater than Pharaoh that Moses could have been afraid of. God was saying, I will accompany you, Moses. And what a greater guarantee of success could you ask for when God assures you that he'll go with you? And so God promises that he's going to be meeting with him. And at some point, indeed, he met with God. The point is, when Moses felt like he was not ready or was not qualified enough for the task, God assured him to say, I will be with you. Point objection number two, Moses said to God that, will they believe me? Okay, supposing I go on this mandate, on this mission, will they believe me? So Moses' concern is that the children of Israel will not believe him unless he can tell them who has sent him. He knows that the one who is speaking to him is the God of his fathers, but the Israelites are living in a society that worships many gods. Therefore, his concern is when I go to Egypt, are the people of Israel going to believe me that have appeared to me in a burning bush and are giving me this mandate? Are they going to believe me? There is a sense in which sometimes when God is dealing with you, as you look for him, you feel intimidated and say, Lord, as I desire to long for your presence, and if I desire to share the gospel, will the people in the community going to believe me? And much more than that. There is so much more information that I can come out of that, but I'm, because of time, I'm skipping a lot of stuff. And so protest number three, objection number three, Moses spoke to God to say, how will I convince them? So number one, who am I? Number two, how will they believe me? Number three, objection, how will I convince them? Now Moses' next objection is that he feels incapable of making himself understood 
of and persuading the Israelites to accept his message. His doubts, he doubts that what he says will carry conviction. He may be remembering the earlier days when he attempts to help the Israelites, like I alluded to. But the point is, Moses was wrestling with this idea that if I got on mission, will they convince, will I be able to convince him? But again, God assured him. To cut a long story short, even God was even willing to give his brother Aaron to accompany and to go with Moses. But Moses was not up to that because he gave the last and the fourth objection. He said, I like eloquence. Now, it is interesting to note that when Moses objected to God's calling by saying, who am I? God was kind of cool. He was gracious with him. When God was saying, will they believe me? God was cool with Moses, was gracious with him. When, God, when Moses objected to God's calling by saying, how will I convince them? God was still gracious and patient with Moses. But when Moses said, I lack eloquency, then God became hungry with him because there is a sense in which now God, Moses was seemingly challenging God. And therefore, Moses then puts forward the fourth objection he has never seen in his life. He said he has never been a good speaker in his life and all the rest of it. But God challenged him and in a sense rebuked him. Who gives man the capacity and the, and the, and the ability to speak? It's me who gives people the power and the ability to speak. And therefore, I want you to go. Now, this was not the first time that somebody felt intimidated. Jeremiah also, when God called him, he felt like he was not good enough. He, he, he wanted someone else to, to do the work for him. But the point is, in the final analysis, Moses left for Egypt and experienced profound work of God. And at some point, you, you, you push, you fast forward the story. When God was again challenging Moses to go up in the field, Moses said one thing. He said, I'm only going to go if your presence is going to go with me. If your presence is not going to go with me on this mission, I'm not prepared to go. And so Moses replied, God replied to Moses by saying, my presence will go with you and that I'll give you peace, and that I'll give you rest. And so, what I want to talk about right now as I begin to wind up is that I don't know about you. For me, this was what caught my attention because at the moment God told Moses that my presence will go with you, at that moment, Moses did not object. He did not object the way he objected previously. And, and I believe that Moses knew something beautifully compelling about the presence of God. And that's why he did not object. Because he knew that when you have got the presence of God in your life, that could be the difference between life and death. That could be the difference between success and failure. I, I don't know about you, but for me, this is what caught my attention from this whole narrative. Moses' passion or longing for God's presence. He had been in the tent of meeting long enough to know something beautifully compelling about the presence of God. And I'm sure that Moses knew from multiple personal experiences with God the importance and relevance of God's presence in his life and ministry. What about you? 
Do you long for God's presence in your life? It could be the difference between life and death. It could be the difference between successful ministry and failure. In other words, God's presence is of uttermost importance in the life of a believer and the ministry of the church. It signifies an intimate relationship with God. It provides guidance, empowerment, and protection, and fosters spiritual growth and spiritual formation. That's why Moses was longing for God's presence. Because the presence of God brings comfort in times of adversity. The presence of God brings assurance in times of troubles. The presence of God enables believers to fulfill their calling and impact the world around them. Like Moses. As we depart for Zambia on the 4th of July, we desire and long for nothing but God's presence to go with us so that we can go and proclaim the gospel where the need is greater. And why the gospel? Because like Romans, the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, he says, well, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes face to the Jew and then to the Gentile. The gospel, brethren, is our only hope. For it has the power to save. The gospel has the power to save sinners. Sinners from the power of the world. Sinners from the power of the devil. And sinners saved from the power of the flesh. And not only that. The gospel has power to transform and sanctify us. And make us new creatures in Christ to the degree that we begin, we begin to long after God's righteousness and justice and mercy and holiness of God. And that, and that is very humbling and encouraging for me because I'm hopeful that in the fullness of time, even the very presence of sin in our lives will be wiped away from our lives as, as we begin to enjoy God's presence as redeemed sons and daughters of of God. And so, as I wind up, I want to encourage you that as we embark on this upcoming trip to Zambia, we desire nothing except the presence of God to go with us. And the challenge that I want to lay with you is that until you just pray with us, until you join us and pray for us that we become bored, that we refuse to give up when the tough gets going, until you pray with us for boldness and courage and patience and perseverance as partners in the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we continue to faithfully advance his kingdom as we all earnestly long for his presence, fully persuaded that God's presence overrides all our weaknesses, and yes, including Moses' excuses or excuses or what I call Moses syndrome. Let's not think that we are not able by saying, Who am I? Let's not think that they're not going to believe us. Let's not think that, how am I going to cons convince them? Or let's not even think that we're not eloquent. Because with God's presence, all things are possible. Let's pray together. 
Lord, as the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. I said to you, PBC, family, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.